Have you ever been in a musical? I was Rudolph in a play. That's a big role. Yeah, huge role. Lots of responsibility. Hello and welcome to All The Way Through Episode 5, Series 2. I've said that backwards, but you get the idea. This is the podcast journeying through the Louis Theroux Battle Catalogue to work out whether we still love him as much as we thought we did. I'm joined, as always, by Alex Watson. Hello, Alex. Hello. You've forgotten to say your own name again. It's Matthew Dunn-Miles. Thank you very much. I feel like my name is shifting. I could be anything because I am a true thespian and have learned so much from this documentary. You could be Matthew Duncastle now. <laughs> yes, or some other night-themed thing. The reason you are a thespian, though, or the reason that that is relevant is because this episode of Weird Weekends is called Off-Broadway, and it focuses on people who are underemployed performers, specifically actors that don't get that much work, but they're still trying to make it. Is it called Off-Broadway or Off-Off-Broadway? I've seen it as both. Isn't Off-Off-Broadway a double negative and therefore on Broadway? No, not in these guys' case. I think you're so far off-Off-Broadway that you're nowhere to be seen at all. In a different city from Broadway. I am dressed in a builder's helmet and uh, just bare-chested. The photographer told me that this would get me roles. I heard the photographer couldn't believe how sexy you were in that particular get-up. He was shocked. I'm personally wearing a familiar orange shirt with uh, embroidery on the front that for some reason Louis Theroux wears 24-7 24-7 in the year 1998 to 99. Oh my god, this shirt. In some ways I'm kind of glad that they didn't focus on actual Broadway. I think it's much more interesting to meet the, not, oh, I don't want to say struggling, but like the tadpoles that are swimming really hard to try and get to the top. Do tadpoles swim to the top? Where are they getting to? <laughs> I don't know. I think you're mixing them up with sperm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, either way, they look similar and they're swimming in liquid. They are indeed. But Alex, before we cut to Broadway, there's a few stats that I wanted to run past you because obviously we talk about the fact that they're underworking performers. And a research from Queen Mary University in London in 2019 says that unemployment rates in actors hover around 90% and as low as 2% of actors are able to make a living out of acting. That's how serious this profession is in terms of you don't get the breaks, you don't get anything. It's similar to musicians, I suppose, where a lot of them, even though they are signed to labels and they are in theory successful, they all have day jobs as well because you can't pay the bills. We cut to a funky New York There's some funky music playing. Louis is strolling down Broadway in his favourite shirt. And I've wrote, life is good. (laughs) It does look good, doesn't it? I mean, specifically because there's no way in hell we're getting to New York anytime soon. But you would quite like to climb into that New York. I have a stroll with Louis in a matching shirt. Yeah. But he's on his way to meet a lady called Lisa Gold, who's the director of a company called TVI, Talent Ventures Incorporated, that helps young actors break into the business. And Lisa, in fitting with this episode, is herself an actor that was not able to make it as an actor. So to pay her bills, she's helping other people who aren't making it as actors to try and make it as actors. Well, study on before you curse out Lisa's career, because I think you'll find she's done a lot of theatre work and is also in an advert for the New York Lottery as they speak. She demonstrates her skills by waving her arms in the air. Louis says, oh, you don't get a line in it. She says, no, but I make a lot of money from it. She also worked on cruise ships as an entertainment, which will kind of circle back to that concept later. But must be a pretty weird job, I'd imagine, being stuck out on the high seas and performing every night for old people. But surely the same group of old people. Yeah. Do they do a different show every night? I mean, a cruise lasts like three weeks or something. The point of this episode of Weird Weekends is that Louis is trying to make it as an actor. He's trying to see if he has what it takes to make it as an actor. So he's asking Lisa for advice. And he says, what do I need? Is there like a certain criteria that you need to meet to become an actor? And Lisa says that getting an acting job is all down to auditioning well. And this is something that comes up a lot in this episode is you could be the biggest talent in the world. You could be Robert De Niro or whoever you think is the best actor going. Adam Sandler. But if you get nervous in auditions and you do badly, you're never going to get the job yeah this is fascinating so it's kind of almost that a completely different skill set is needed to actually be successful in movies whatever your acting ability is and i do think this is something that you kind of see when people are on chat shows 
There are plenty of actors who I think they are not a good actor, but when you see them being interviewed on TV, they are so charming and so full of life that you can see why if this person strolled into a room and was chatting to you, you may think they're a great actor, I suppose. Something that's just struck me is also the fact that this episode's set in New York rather than LA. This is obviously focusing more on people that would be in musical theatre rather than films and TV. And maybe that's a whole other breed of actor as well, the kind of person you have to be. That's very true. I wonder if it does change coast to coast. Probably does. Because in New York, you're not going to be competing with the same pool of people for a job on Friends or whatever the hell people were auditioning for in 1998. Lisa says there are some very talented people who are not working and some less talented people who are working constantly. I wonder if she includes herself in that first group there when she says that. You can definitely commiserate with this in a lot of industries though. There are just people who can sell themselves and if you're being critical or a little bit snide, you might say, well, actually, they're not very good or they're not as good as me. But there's an argument that if you can sell yourself, then, you know, that's a skill in itself. The kind of circle of rejection and acceptance and people, you know, potentially getting you an opportunity with someone and this sort of thing reflects so many other industries. Like you said, it could be the music industry. It could be journalism. It could be everything, really, I'm sure. Everything with a creative element, but then other industries too, I'm sure, you know, being a good lawyer, for example. Basically, we just have to shout about ourselves a bit more as human beings and not be so shy. So Louis gets right stuck into this and on the streets of New York decides to do an impromptu little performance for Lisa. We just this really weird thing where he waves his arms in the air and it's like he's singing a song but he isn't actually singing any lyrics and it isn't a tune that's a real song it eventually becomes new york new york it's a wonderful town but he is waving his arms in the air Kind of like how you see people in airports on the landing strips waving their arms. Usually they hold flags to kind of signal when planes can come into land. That's what he seems to be doing. I can't work out why. New, New York, New York, it's a... Help me with the tune. New York, New York, it's a wonderful town. The batteries up and the batteries are down. But da do da 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 New York, New York. It's a wonderful town. So he finishes the rendition and then quickly just cuts to, do you think I could make it to Lisa? She's not too sure. She's quite diplomatic about it, but she's not convinced. I think this probably sets the tone for Louis' ability, certainly as a singer and dancer. Do you want to know Lisa's acting credits since this? Yes, please. So Lisa has been in All My Children, soap opera in the States, another series called As the World Turns in 2009, I don't know what that was, and a film called Love Me As I Am, again in 2009, where she played a money-hungry nun. (laughs) That's the credit. I do wonder if she's the director of this company, how do you then take time out to go and be on set for an acting job? Well, from what I could see, I think she'd left TVI not long after this, maybe a couple of years later, and now she seems to be in work for herself. She has a Facebook page, Lisa Gold, How to Get an Agent, which is a Facebook page with 15,000 likes and is still putting out casting calls as recently as July. And she also has a website called Act Outside the Box. And again, it's offering the same kind of things that was with TVI, which is still going, by the way, but she seems to be doing this in her own right now. So there's something to be said for, and we see this in this show, people who've maybe not cracked the acting industry, but then turning their hands to just telling people how to be successful actors, which is a weird thing. This is always my cynical thought, and especially later in the episode when we go to acting classes. We don't dwell on the acting credits of the teachers themselves, but why are they the guys that should tell you how to act or how well you're doing? And it almost feels like then they're... Well, we'll get to this later on. I'm not going to go into it now. After Louis's done embarrassing himself in the middle of downtown Manhattan, they go to TVI HQ to the office, which is quite big. It seems like a pretty legit setup. There are lots of headshots up in the hallway and Louis and Lisa take some time to look at them all. I think a lot of it is advertising from photographers for people who want to find someone to do a headshot for them. But Louis starts pointing out people who might be sort of dodgy doppelgangers of real celebrities and asking if they are. He spots an Eric Stoltz. He's not an actor I particularly know, but then he sees a Mickey Rourke. He's aged terribly. Spoiler alert, Mickey Rourke does age terribly. Alec Baldwin. 
No. Chris Christopherson? No, 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 no. And he's just playing this game of looky-likey with Lisa, who just keeps going, no. She doesn't like this game. And then Louis asks, are these TVI graduates? And she says, no, they're not. Again, this is the thing. It's like a bit of a facade because you would assume that these are all people who've gone through this academy or this system. But actually, like you said, it's just to demonstrate how good the photographers are at headshots. I like this guy. One of our... um... His eyes kind of follow you around the room. While they're in the hallway, Louis and Lisa are chatting about how brutally honest you can and should be with someone who's aspiring to be an actor Lisa says she would never tell somebody that they couldn't act because who is she to judge which in her defense is kind of what we were just saying but again who is she to judge but she is the director of a company that judges this Louis touches on it later that she'll take someone's money even if she thinks they'll never make it she'll take their $400 a year or whatever it is it's maybe a little bit unfair But in her defence, and before we slam her as some sort of huckster, everyone is trainable. That's what she says to Louis after in this conversation. Acting is a craft. This is something you can learn over time and get better at. So even if you were absolutely shoddy at first, you maybe could become something and maybe get the right breaks. Testing the waters on his own ability, Louis then does a mock advertisement for a Lyme disease medication. He's just reading his lines off a big poster that Lisa's holding up for him behind the camera. I think he does a pretty good job. Well, he does his presenter voice, a slightly turned up version of how he narrates the documentaries themselves. He's very smiley and he has a very kind of jokey tone, a jovial tone. He makes an effort to look at the line and then look up at Lisa. So he is trying to do a good job of acting. And Lisa says that he's pretty good. But then the first of many slights against Louis in this particular area, she says, I would comb your hair, though. Brutal. He gets savaged for his hair in this episode. It's absolutely incredible. Maybe in America, fashions were different. I don't know. It makes me think that he's especially unfashionable in his hair at this stage. Well, he's described later on as being very East Village. So quite hippie-ish, quite bohemian. Maybe that just wasn't a look in 1998. Maybe people were moving past the slightly moppish style. Scruffy. We continue through the TVI offices and I got a nice nostalgic feel for the old school Apple Macs that they have, which would have been the height of technology at that point. I thought you were just going to say you had a nostalgic feeling seeing an office. Remember them? God, I miss an office. The annual fee for joining up to TVI as a talent is $385. Re-upping the membership is cheaper. It's $225 later on. And for that, you get access to acting classes, resumes. They will check your cover letters. They will look at your promo shots and all sorts. But that has a lot of money probably for a struggling actor at this point to really kind of gamble away in hope that this will benefit their career. One of the things that you get with your membership is advice from the staff consultants there as well. And Louis sort of hones in on one of these little meetings where the member of staff who we haven't met yet but later we learn is called Nicole is describing an actor's headshot (laughs) she's using this really weird tactful but really not tactful language she's saying yeah it's beautiful but scary and also pretty but a little out of town if I was still dating I would have that on my bio pretty but a little out of town I feel like that's not helpful advice. What can you do about that? How can you move your look in town? I don't know what that means. And I, I don't even want to get into the connotations that she's saying this to an African-American lady. Exactly. My thoughts as well. It was very odd. We speak to this lady. Her name is Kashira. Louis kind of stoops into their conversation and asks, can I find out a bit more? So Kashira is a new actor. She's not really acted for, but she has been a model and she also sings. And Nicole Kim is giving Louis a quick rundown of what's going on. She speaks like a machine gun. She's so fast and quick and she's kind of going through all these details about Kashira. She explains that she is the really cool Gen X kind of girl. It made me laugh that she said, oh, that's the buzzword just now. People say everything's Gen X. And it made me think everyone says everything's millennial now don't they it's just the earlier incarnation of that she's a gen x chick she is gen x but she's a little out of town so louis asked both of them both nicole and kashira what it takes to make it as an actor and both of them join in together to say you've got to be outgoing the little things your friends like about you you've got to get that across and also when you don't care that's when you make it as an actor which again is the most useless piece of advice Well, the most scary bit of advice here, and this was horrible, is that that Nicole then repeats, they smell desperation, talking about casting agents. And if you are desperate, you have to mask it really, really well, (laughs) which just makes that an impossible task. It's like 
a weird abusive relationship. It's the thing you most want in the world and you would have to want it that badly for it to be your passion in life. But then you have to not care about it. How is that even possible? Want it so much that you look like you don't want it at all. It's quite simple. I hate it. Nicole says that she's been in casting calls as part of the panel and she said you can tell straight away if someone is going to get a call back. There's an air, there's a confidence about people. And Louis says, but what about if they're really talented? And Nicole says, well, talent's actually about third or fourth on the list. It's damn important, she says. Damn important, but yeah, no. Please, you've got to look great as you walk in the room. And it's decided in the first 10 seconds or something ridiculous. It makes me so sad. All the effort you would go to to get ready for an audition and then they've already decided they don't want you. It's really, really depressing. Louis asks, what type of actor would he be? And I love that Nicole matter-of-factly just immediately answers, independent feature film. (laughs) Straight away. (laughs) He's the sidekick quirky best friend. And he's quite upset by this. Kishira agrees, your hair is definitely quirky best friend. She says it's relaxed. That's her word, which means lazy, which means do something about your hair. He keeps pushing to be the main romantic lead and he keeps getting told, nah, you're quirky and you've got bad hair. He asks, is he a leading man trapped in a quirky best friend's hair? And there is an (laughs) awkward silence, which could have come straight from the office. How he didn't end up with a massive insecurity complex about his hair after this, I'm not sure. Well, we don't know the film in order. He does get his hair cut in one episode of this series and I don't know whether that was inspired by this. That's true. He heads out the door to go kind of explore further, but he gets one last chance to speak to Nicole a bit more. And he tells her he really wants to be in musical theatre. He likes to sing and he likes to dance. And that's where he feels like he would be best. Nicole says, well, that's my passion because she played Sandy in a national tour of Greece. Which, oh my God, my inner 10 year old was like, (gasps) the dream. The dream quickly turns into a nightmare because (laughs) poor Sandy was hit by a hundred pound set piece that fell on her head and now she can't dance or tour. She is trapped telling other people to live their dreams while she sits behind the desk. I mean, obviously that's horrifying. I'm laughing, but it's just the way that she says it. And then I was trying to think, what is on the set of Grease that would be hanging that could fall and hit her? Like maybe a tiny little Thunderbird car or something? A diner light? There's not many things up in the air in Greece. Maybe it was the car itself as it sails off at the end. A hundred pounds is quite heavy as well, isn't it? Yeah. Well, apparently, I don't want to go too much into this because these things are always complete nonsense, but there is a Grease curse. Ooh. Cast and crew who appeared on the film had problems and issues afterwards that they put down to this Grease curse. And there has been other stage performances which have also been affected by actors being injured on stage. So poor Nicole is just a victim of the Grease curse. She should have known. She should have known. I can't imagine how gutted she must have been, though, because that is probably one of those roles that you would be very chuffed with. It's a tragic story. You're sandy and then you're hit by a hundred pound Grease lightning, which falls on your head. And you just know that understudy was like, fuck yes. I hope she fully recovered though. Well, she does go on to act a bit more and I do have a big reveal about Nicole later, but I'm not going to get into this yet. But she has been on shows in recent years, including The Mentalist. Ooh. Top show, big show. And most recently a show called Cannibal Corpse Killers. Christ, things went dark. (laughs) That was her own biography of a dime on Greece. Nicole says because she can't perform, she's studying like crazy. So she's going to a lot of acting classes and singing and trying to work on her craft. And Louis asks if he could maybe join her when she does this. And she's all for it. And then he leaves. And he goes to the Sheraton New York plush hotel. And he is meeting veteran off-Broadway actor James Lorenzo. I feel like he morphed. He looked like about 40 different actors every time I looked at him. He's a bit... Christian Slater. Yep. A bit Michael J. Fox. Yeah. A bit your man from Arrested Development. I had him as well. Jason Bateman. He's everyone, but he's no one. And this might be his problem. (laughs) (laughs) But I say that, I liked him. I think he comes off as an okay guy. You'd imagine an actor to potentially be a bit of a wank. No offense to any actors listening, but he's got a lot of confidence and yet he does come off as pretty likable. He's been in the business for two decades, we find out, and he's also a personal trainer at this hotel. That's how he makes his money, essentially. And we can see why, because instantly 
was shown him working out with Louis and he's got him by the legs and he tells him to be a sack of potatoes, which is just the best advice. If I go to a personal trainer and all I have to do is be a sack of potatoes and he stretches my back out for me, that sounds great. Louis's got his home of Delta Blues t-shirt on and some tiny green shorts. I think we've seen these tiny shorts before. Maybe they were red last time, but yeah, he he loves a short short, which I can respect fully. I liked that he started skipping quite diligently whilst asking James questions. He's proving that he can multitask as well. No joke, that is tough. Skipping is one of the most difficult things I've ever tried to do. Didn't skip a beat. (laughs) Uh... Stop the recording now, this is done. (laughs) Goodbye, we're over. (laughs) As he skips, Louis cuts straight to the chase here. He just says, how much money do you make from acting? And James does a very diplomatic answer here, but he ultimately says, I get a lot of work that I don't get paid for. He says he goes for the good writing. Great writing, great writing. It's all free. It's all. I'm not getting paid for it, but it's great writing. But now that he's getting to a certain age, he's obviously pushing middle age at this point. He's decided to do the adult thing and try to get into the more commercial side of acting. James turns the interview on Louis, which I always enjoy when the subjects do this. And he says, how about you? You're doing a good job of this. And you say you're not an actor. There is something quite performative about Louis' persona, especially in these early documentaries. Definitely. He's not being himself, is he? He's got to have some kind of guard up to interview all different people from different backgrounds. Exactly. And he has a persona and a character that he plays. And that's why I think we like it when we see the mask slip a little bit and you see him giggle or kind of lose his footing. He says, I'm just seeing if I could act. I'm not an actor. Maybe part of it is when he turns the questions around, but I thought James came off as very intense. Well, this is a thing that I think happens with nearly everyone in this documentary and it and something we've seen in other ones as well. They know the camera's on them and I think it affects their behaviour. And I think James knows that this is the kind of interview that could be seen somewhere that could get him a job. So I do think there is something to be said for he is playing the intense actor. Louis is asking him, could he make it? Could he be the next big actor on telly? And James says, it's not going to happen overnight. But his motivational speech for the workout continues. He says, Louis's got great legs, great quads. And he tells him to breathe, exhale the garbage. He's quite into the motivational, like, well-being stuff. It's quite poetic, though. It's brilliant. Yeah, he talks about acting getting scary when you get to middle age. He sort of says that he was okay when he was 25 and running around and he's always scraped by. But now that he's got to provide for people and be responsible, it does start to get a little bit scarier. There's something to be said for all kind of pressures deep down come down to money. It's all economic when you get to the root of it. And that's the issue here. You can imagine James would be kind of happy living that life forever, but he feels like he has to now make more money and be a bit more grown up. But I don't think it's something he particularly relishes. No. It's almost like when he talks about the commercial stuff, he's making a point that he doesn't really want to do that. But that's just what's expected of him. Yeah. Which is sad. Yeah. They talk about having a spark. I suppose just having that little glimmer of potential. And you hear these stories, don't you, of child actors who are spotted in the supermarket and stuff like that. There must be a reason that casting agents see these people out and say you would be a good actor. And James says that he thinks Louis has a spark. But then when Louis asks, do we have the same kind of spark? James says, well, there's all kinds of spark. (laughs) It gets very existential very quickly. But I guess what he's trying to say is people can get acting jobs for all different reasons. And there are all different roles out there for everybody. So he is trying to be quite motivational, I think, with it. And then out of nowhere, Louis just says to James, you look in the mirror a lot. You've been looking in the mirror this whole time we've been talking. James's response is great, though. He just says, can't I? As if to say... (laughs) Wouldn't you? She's just brilliant. And then they spend a good five minutes, both of them just standing next to each other looking in the mirror. You get a nice shot of the cameraman in the mirror as well. I always like that. And Louis says, he's kind of staring at his own face in the mirror and he says, I'm a weird looking guy. (laughs) It's one of my favourite Louis through lines, I think. How that has not made it onto a t-shirt, I'm not sure. James assures him that he isn't a weird looking guy. Strong jaw, full lips is how he describes Louis. And then they look at themselves again. They move closer to the mirror because they can't see themselves well enough to decide which side is their best side. James makes a decision on which is Louis's best side. But James seems like a decent guy. He's not kind of running Louis down. He hasn't talked about his hair. He's been very complimentary. Do you think that they did this on James's day off or does he just have so few personal training clients that <laughs> it didn't matter? Do you think they booked in for a session? They are splashing the BBC budget a bit more in this series. Actually, maybe, yeah. I hope so. Louis heads downtown. He's not specific about where he's going. He goes downtown to meet a woman called Sarah Adams. 
he's wearing the orange shirt again. Give it a rest is what I've written in my in my notes. But he's always wearing his leather jacket over the top because I imagine it's depleted at the back. It's been worn so much that it's probably <laughs> just in tatters. It's taped together with duct tape. Sarah's an actor. She is on set filming a commercial for a local boutique, which has been filmed in the middle of the street. She's young. She's got dark hair, very pretty. I felt like she wouldn't be out of place on the set of something like Charmed. But again, that's quite dated. <laughs> I think she was more like an Alison Brie sort of type. Yeah, I can see that. Quite peppy, but smart. Or an Anna Kendrick, maybe. That sort of vibe. So she's on this set of this commercial because she met the director at a hair salon. And then within a week, as he describes it, blammo. They were on the set together working on this. Did you notice that the director didn't really have very much hair? What was he doing in the hair salon? <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect to the bold community out there solidarity with you all i don't want to sort of perpetuate that this man's a total creep but um the camera that they're using is very small like a home video camcorder it doesn't look that legit alex let's not worry because i've wrote nerdy oddball (laughs) as soon as i saw him so that man can come at us if he wants to but he comes across as a nerdy oddball. He says the word blamo, which is the worst <laughs> thing I've ever heard. And then he continues to shoot Sarah walking down the street. And then he repeats things three times like that guy in Goodfellas. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. And then he makes her pick up a payphone at one point. But mainly it's about walking in the middle of the road. One of the walking bits, he's lying on the ground filming upwards and she's wearing a skirt. So there's also a bit where she walks past the camera and like pulls the arm of her jacket down to reveal her shoulder in quite a sexy way. It's a bit odd. It's very weird. But Sarah says ads are good exposure. It's not acting as in she doesn't have lines, but it is a different kind of acting. It shows a different part of her, mainly her shoulder. And we don't want to know about the Nerdy Oddball's <laughs> private collection. Her answers are very considered, quite stagey, I thought, when she's talking about this. She looks great. She looks the part. And I guess that's the point when you're young and you're trying to just do some work. Listen, she could have gone on to win an Oscar. She doesn't. Spoiler alert, she doesn't. Oh, I thought you were about to tell me she did. No, but we find out a bit more about Sarah when we go to her flat. It's a very homely flat, I would say. Louis says, nice place, it's beautiful. And Sarah says, it's small, it's New York. And Louis says, it's so New York, (laughs) which is code word for hovel. It's just kind of crammed full of furniture and there's like a printer. It's not particularly exciting, but Louis really goes in with how beautiful her home is. Maybe he thinks that that's how he's going to win her over. Maybe it's just nicer than wherever he was in Brooklyn at the time. Yeah, he's just living in a warehouse with a leaky roof or something at this point. In a commune. So Sarah has a sort of office set up crammed into one corner and there's lots of envelopes full of headshots of her and she's got her resume or CV printed out and she talks Louis through all of these things. He's looking through her headshots and she also reveals that she has a website, which in 1998, that's quite a big deal, I guess. Can confirm I looked for this website and I could not find it. I was very disappointed. Louis holds up one of Sarah's headshots and says, what does this headshot say? And Sarah, in the most humble way, says... It's saying, um, hi, not only am I cute and attractive and bubbly and energetic, but I'm warm also. The eyes are warm. That, that was the main reason why I chose the picture. And I'm young and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit sassy too. So this is someone who is not struggling with the fact that you have to sell yourself as part of this industry at all. Louis says, you seem organized. She's treating herself as a product or as a business, which is what you have to do in this situation to do it well. And he says, it's like you're declaring war on it. And she kind of agrees. She says it is a business and I'm trying to do whatever I can to make it. Then Louis asks the same question as he already has of Nicole. Where do you see me if I were to be in something. And Sarah says, you could be the other guy that the girl doesn't think she's into, but ends up falling for. Except that this is her fate later on and settles. (laughs) Yeah, you're the sensible one. The accountant that she settles for. At least he'll pay the bills and sort the mortgage out. Didn't you think the hallway of her flat was really Edinburgh? Oh yeah, absolutely. Or Glasgow was a proper tenement. It's just really weird to see that. It was weird. And suddenly in my head, I guess because I've seen that Anthony Bourdain episode where he's in Glasgow, I suddenly was like, oh my God, I want to watch a Louis Theroux episode where he's in Glasgow. (laughs) The Glasgow acting scene. We'd need a lot of subtitles, I think, for most of the population. (laughs) 
they stick together to Sarah and Louis and she takes Louis to an acting class that she's going to run by Robert McCaskill I don't know if we're meant to already know who he is he doesn't get any introduction or backstory I've looked up his information he's still going McCaskill studio is still a thing they still do acting classes they are now all online because of the recent pandemic Robert McCaskill I would say he looks a bit like John Cusack like a poor man's John Cusack a little bit more weathered than John Cusack I would say Cusack with a tough paper round. Glasgow Cusack. The class focuses on theatrical exercises. So it's quite a big group of people, but they kind of break off into twos. And the first one that Louis takes part in is a bragging exercise where you pair off and you have to brag about yourself. I suppose it's a way to practice acting, but Robert McCaskill says it's also a way to talk about yourself in a positive way and put your talents and skills and stuff out there. There are some amazing lines in this. I think because Sarah is so incredibly confident, she comes out with some amazing stuff. I am charismatic. I like, I walk into a room and I light it up. It's like people, you know, they could be thinking about their mother dying. And then we cut to Louis who says, I'm funny, I'm smart, I have my own TV show. That's probably the top trump there. I have my own TV show. Sarah says, I'm hot. I'm so hot. And the guy she's paired up with is just like, yep. (laughs) They get into some weird moment further on, which is very odd. They do. But interestingly, one of the people that they show taking part in this bragging exercise is someone talking about how they want to be the most successful comedian ever. And he looked really familiar. And it's a guy called Eddie Peppertone, who is actually a really successful comedian. He's been at the Fringe, Edinburgh Festival Fringe. He's worked with Mark Maron and has done a load of film and TV roles. He's potentially one of the most famous people in this documentary. Good lad. And yet he only has a small moment. Another good Louis line in the bragging exercise is, I have amazing humility. I don't know how this is acting or how this is improving your acting at this point. No. And it gets even weirder. The next exercise is the I can see that you are exercise. And bear in mind, from what we see anyway, there's very little instruction on what you're actually meant to do in this exercise. You're just meant to look at this person that you've never met before and say, I can see that you are and observe something about them. Alex, I can see that you are talking about the I can see that you are exercise. (laughs) I feel like I would just have a mind blank and have no idea. What is so funny about this is I think this is just really boosting the other person up. So you're meant to say things like... I can see that you are a kind soul or something like this. But we cut to Sarah and she says, I can see that you're intimidated by the power I have right now, which is not really in the spirit of the game, Sarah. And she says, I can see that you're trying to bring me down to your level. Jesus, she is cold. Meanwhile, Louis and his partner are saying things like, I can see that you're warm. I can see that you're curious. Louis is told that she can see that he would be a really good father. That he also enjoys mysterious things like castles. Oh, I didn't clock that. Maybe that was the inspiration for a later decision. I think possibly. But then Louis kind of kills the game because he says, I can see that you like running around naked in public places. His partner in this exercise has no idea how to respond and just bursts out laughing. She doesn't deny it though. So maybe he's right. Look, the man's an investigative journalist. Ultimately, this is a hugely weird exercise. Everyone just seems to let out their insecurities and it's almost more like group therapy than acting. It totally is. I think that is the whole point. The bragging is all about validation. It's like putting on a suit of armour because as we see later on, the audition circuit is brutal. Once the class is over, Louis asks Robert, the teacher, what he thinks of Sarah and her acting skills. And Robert very tactically says, she'll go as far as she wants. If she keeps at it, she'll make it. Louis kind of comments on what we did about the openness and vulnerability aspects of the activities. And Robert McCaskill says the acting is organised around rejection. But he says it's like being a soldier. You're going to get hurt. But hopefully you can grow with these wounds or something along those lines. I thought it was interesting that Louis either says or implies that it's actually a little bit irresponsible to make people so vulnerable when they should really be gearing themselves up for rejection. It is a difficult line to toe. Louis then asks Robert... He outright asked him, would you take my money if you thought I was no good at acting? (laughs) Robert says yes, because acting is a craft. He says, if you have 20 years, you could be a great actor. And Louis says, what if I had a weekend? (laughs) Which is the cheapest show plug I've ever seen from Louis. What if I've only got a weird weekend? Leonardo DiCaprio is just like pointing at the screen. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's hard to reference something in an audio <laughs> format. If you know, you know. Speaking of Leonardo DiCaprio, no, not really. He's not guesting on the podcast. But maybe our guest has worked with Leo. He wasn't letting on about his famous clients. I spoke to acting coach and Glasgow Cusack himself, Robert McCaskill, about how things have or haven't changed for actors since the 90s and what it was like critiquing Louis. Well, my name's Robert McCaskill and I'm a full-time acting coach and I work in New York City and uh, have been doing so for about 30 years. So I do my own projects artistically on stage and on film. I've directed three feature films and done some stage work that I've written with a partner, Alex Lyris, and uh, then we have presented them both in New York and L.A. So I feel like over the last 20 years, I've been able to do what I want in terms of art, but also help other people to achieve their goals as well. Were you initially doing more of your own acting and fewer classes? Has that changed at all? Well, my coaching business has definitely grown over the years. I've been doing class for about 30 years, usually three to four times a week. But then coaching has built up over the years. Now online, I'm coaching people on both coasts and sometimes Australia. So it's a little bit more intimate when you're one-on-one with somebody. You can go a little deeper, perhaps. You know, when there's 10 people in the room or 10 people in the Zoom room, you know, it stays maybe a little bit more technical. But one-on-one is an interesting experience. And do you still find that you're able to read people when there's that sort of barrier of the video call? Well, at first I thought it's not going to work. I did think that there was something about just the subtle cueing that goes on between two people who are face-to-face. But what I found is that there is a certain intimacy when people are calling in from their home. And it's interesting to do class and you see people sitting on the carpet in their own living room with the computer on the coffee table or even somebody's in bed or somebody's, you know, in the kitchen. And there are doors that open that might not otherwise. Do you sort of think you have a read on how talented someone is or how far they could go just by seeing them for the first time or seeing them act? I would say talent gets uncovered. There's often socialization in the way of someone's talent. And as they become more comfortable and as they learn tools for reaching themselves, their talent can be revealed. An awesome sense of humor or something like that, they often walk in the door with that. But the ability to be very personal, to be more emotionally fluent, that develops. 1998 was some time ago now. What are your memories of filming that Louis Theroux documentary or having the camera crew in your class? I remember doing exercises in front of those cameras and those exercises are very self-revealing, very self-exposing. And I wondered if people would shut down with a roving cameraman, but they didn't. They were brave. But Louis Theroux, you know, I do remember his presence and his sense of humor. You know, at one point he asked me if I wanted to become a movie star, a world famous actor, like by the end of the month, what would you recommend? I just remember that naivete that he was kind of making fun of, but I do think that everyone feels that, like, I'd love to be a famous actor, but I don't know if I want 10 years of destitution. I don't know if I want to struggle for it. But fortunately, people are willing to struggle for it. And that's what produces this this culture that we have. Do you think that things are easier now or harder for actors in that situation? Or do you think it's not really changed? I think there's a a kind of classic situation with any artist, whether they're a painter or a musician or an actor, where they take side gigs. The great American poet Wallace Stevens was the head of an insurance company in Hartford, Connecticut. And he would walk to work. And on the way to work and on the way home, he would compose groundbreaking poems in his head. So most artists have to have some kind of help from their family or some kind of side gig or some way of making money. You think of Vincent van Gogh, you know, he, he was dependent on his brother. But you look at those brushstrokes and you look at that vision and you say, this guy knew. This guy knew he was great. This guy knew that what he was doing would last for hundreds of years, if not thousands. So there's a certain gratification that's not dependent upon the industry, that's not dependent upon recognition from the IRS. You know, the IRS says, you know, what's your occupation? And you might have to put waiter, but in your heart, in your life, you know you're an actor. When we emailed a few weeks ago, you said that you were on location or you were at a shoot. How was that during the pandemic? 
well, there's, you know, people trying to stay safe, trying to keep six feet of distance and wearing masks and, until the moment you take them off. And it's definitely thrown a, a, a monkey wrench into the gears. And at first it was very sad to see Broadway shut down, to see TV production just stop. It was scary because you think, oh, gee, is it ever going to come back? Well, of course it's going to come back. But in that moment, you know, when you walk down streets in Manhattan, you saw everything closed, hardly any cars, hardly any people, no crowding. It felt like a nightmare. It felt eerily reminiscent of some kind of inner loneliness. Do you have any personal success stories that you like to pump your students up with if they're ever feeling down? Is there anyone that you've coached that's gone on to be extremely well-known? Well, there are those actors that you would recognize, and I have worked with some famous names. But what I like to tell actors is I remember a guy doing a scene in an acting class 40 years ago where he was playing a fisherman pulling some knots out of some fishing line while a friend of his talked about his romantic problems. And as this fisherman gave him advice, he was untying those knots. And it was this perfect metaphor for untying the knots of your heart. And that was 40 years ago. And that moment still means so much to me. It was such a living poem. And I know that actor's name, and I've tried to find him. I can't find him. He didn't become famous, but he has a place in my dreamscape. And I think that's a lot more important than how many people know your name. With the sort of advice that he probably isn't going to make it as an actor in a weekend, Louis goes to meet up with James again to come up with a plan for what Louis needs if he's going to dunk his head into the acting world. And James says he needs a photo, a resume, and he needs basically to phone some people up and get some contacts in the business. And we learned that Louis is auditioning for a musical called Hey, Mr. Producer, which is going to be performed on a Norwegian cruise line. I can't say I've heard of Hey, Mr. Producer. Well, Alex, this is why the power of the internet is so good, because Hey, Mr. Producer is a show honouring theatre producer Cameron McIntosh, who wrote songs for a number of shows, including Cats, Oliver, Little Shop of Horrors and Oklahoma. So... I think it's almost like a compilation best of show, which is good for a cruise. It makes sense for a cruise. And you can watch it every night for three weeks. Until you tear your own head off. They go for breakfast, James and Louis, and James shows Louis some of his own headshots. He has so many. I mean, I guess he's been doing this for quite a while, but he has an incredible number of photographs of himself. So many of these are so very Christian Slater. This is when I got the real Christian Slater vibes. Which one? Was it Bad Boy or was it Comedy Man? No, not Comedy Man. It was definitely the more Bad Boy ones. And even when he has a little bit of facial hair. There's Bad Boy, Comedy Man, Other Comedy Man, Some Other Fella, one who he describes as a young dad with his son in a Jeep, and one where he just hands the picture to Louis and lets out this very guttural, yeah, because <laughs> he's that happy with it. There's just... So many. Louis says, do you need this many photos if you have talent? Which is a right dig. <laughs> and James basically says, no, you don't need this many photos. But he says, if you don't get the audition, you'll go to your grave with your talent. Good line. And then they discuss what angle Louis should go for when he's auditioning and when he's getting his headshots taken. And James says Louis should go for friendly comedy, but that he's probably not right for leading man roles. There's another dig to the haircut. He says, Perhaps maybe it's, it's a, a hairstyle, hairstyle thing. <laughs> Jesus, Louis. Honestly, if he didn't come out of this not wanting a haircut, then his ego is completely unbruisable. This is insane. I'm surprised he didn't do a Britney 2007 and just shave it off. <laughs> he does say that stings a bit when James says he couldn't be a leading man. And James says, and I like this, you've got to get used to that. Don't take the sting with you. I felt like we should all learn from that. James drops an F-bomb. He says, you better fucking get ready for that, man. <sighs> Serious. In all seriousness, it's not bad advice. You've got to face rejection every day, don't you? James says, you're in the vanity trade profession, which is kind of a good way of looking at it. You are. You want to be seen on screen. You want to be someone who is on people's TVs. You want to be in their films. You want to be on stage in front of them. And part of that is people have to want to look at you. So there is going to be times when you're told you're not the leading man. You are the quirky best friend the accountant that the girl falls for after falling into hard times. That may happen to you. But at least you get a part. Yeah, exactly. You're there. So they immediately go from breakfast to see Robert Kim, who's a photographer that James has obviously worked with before to get headshots taken. 
Robert says they're going to do different energy, lighting, hairstyles, everything. And James is getting new headshots taken because he doesn't have enough already. Yeah, James is really struggling. Robert and James obviously go way back. Robert says James is extremely castable. And then they take quite a few shots of him doing vaguely manic smiles. There's quite a few different outfits that he gets dressed up into. The energy in this bit is very strange. There's kind of manic laughing. He's got his hair slicked down. He's then dressed as a detective. Seems to be just sitting backwards on a chair with some suspenders on. And then he's in a full suit and Robert says to him, Senator, are you ready for your close-up? It does just feel like they're playing dress up at like nursery or something. And you can imagine that Robert probably does this for everyone, even if they couldn't act at all and would say they are incredibly castable because he needs to. That's his role. That's how he makes money. Yeah. This is where James looks very Jason Bateman-y. He's got his hair styled in a way that he says he doesn't like, but he said that Robert told him he had to do it and he agreed that this was going to make him more castable. He would have been Michael Bluth if he'd thought about it a bit more. Yeah, exactly. I've made a huge mistake. Once they've done 40,000 new pictures for James, Louis gets his hair brushed into a mullet, which is maybe why he doesn't brush his hair. He's got a face full of makeup as well. He's very caked in makeup. And he's going to get some pictures taken of his own. So he does quite a few just sort of smiling, but in a very unnatural way. He's got this denim shirt on and he's kind of grinning at the camera, but half laughing. It's almost like a laugh smile. It's like school picture day. Well, he looks like a toddler. He looks like a joke giant toddler it's so bizarre but then they get him into a different outfit and it's slick back hair leather jacket louis no glasses louis they describe this as the alec baldwin bad boy role because louis wanted something that was a bit more quote coming at you he looks great he looks nothing like louis theroux but which shows you the power of these kind of headshots that they can just morph you into a different person and then just as you were worried that he was getting too serious he then is put into in quick succession a cowboy outfit and at the ball game outfit which is a baseball cap and a t-shirt and him crossing his arms over his chest like he's pretending to be a rapper a doctor outfit and robert tells him to get into character he needs to imagine telling a patient you have six months to live and then finally topless with a yellow hard hat on the role that will eventually win him the oscar and robert says i can't believe how sexy this is it's the least sexy thing i've ever seen in my life Sorry, Louis. Imagine being wolf whistled by Louis in a hard hat and topless. Now that he's got 45 new different headshots, he takes them eagerly back to Nicole at TVI and he pays his $385 membership fee in cash, taking 20s out one by one. Will you accept this BBC budget? Yes, I will. And then Nicole takes one look at the headshots and just kind of loses it. Once he's paid his money, Nicole's whole demeanour changes from friendly, I'm telling you about the business to you, you are now paying me for a service and I'm going to cruelly destroy you. He shows her the headshots and she says, Did you realise that you really could never use almost every single one of these? No, seriously? Seriously. Louis says, what about the brooding, sexy Alec Baldwin one? And she says, well, this is your soap shot if you wanted to do that. She does say he looks hot, but she particularly points out smiley man at the baseball game and says this wouldn't work for any auditions. You look like an idiot. (laughs) That's what you need is tough love, isn't it? This is what he needs at this point because he's got a bit carried away. But it shows you that he's gone to Robert Kim who sold him this idea that this is exactly what you need. And it's total lies. It's not what he needs at all, apparently. There is no set path and no one is going to tell you the exact right answer, I think, is what I found out there. At this point, we see Louis' CV, which we'll get on to the content of, but his full address was on the CV. Scribbled out, though, wasn't it? Not very well, no. <laughs> I think maybe his phone number was scribbled out. But I had a quick look at his address, and I think he's maybe still in the same apartment as he was in the weird Christmas episode. But we were led to believe it was in Greenpoint, and actually it's much closer to Williamsburg. It's just around the corner from a restaurant that I've been to in Brooklyn that I really liked called Pies and Thighs. No way! Yeah, If Louis still lived there, he would have lived in a very, very cool area of Brooklyn. We always said he was a Billy Burke hipster. This makes sense. This proves it. And the fact that his haircut, nobody on the other side of the bridge understands it whatsoever. Yeah, get back over to Brooklyn, you hipster. 
So Nicole is equally as dismissive of his CV as she is of his headshots and basically says, you can't hand your resume out like this. She asks if he's done any acting and he says, well, I've been on TV, but I've not acted. And they get down to a school production of Bugsy Malone that Louis appeared in. He said it was at school. It was Westminster School. And Nicole encourages him to include it on his CV as Westminster Productions because that's not lying. <laughs> but she says then if you're asked, you have to say that this was a high school play. I mean, the thing about Bugsy Malone is it's got children in it, doesn't it? Yeah. So he's obviously going to have been a child when he was in it. Back to Louis CV. Did you spot his social skills section? No, I didn't. So Louis has listed under his three credits, which are all school plays, his social skills. They include guitar, tick, we know that. French, we've heard him speak a bit of French bicycling (laughs) good listener and then tv experience brackets as a journalist why is bicycling a social skill honest to god the fact that he ever got a job when he's making cvs like this is beyond me surely this was a joke bicycling in french if that role ever comes up to be fair to nicole no wonder she was just like no yeah so she's giving him a proper battering at this point and she's asking him about songs have you brought songs And he says, no, I haven't brought any songs. And he doesn't know what he's going to sing. And it is like a teacher telling off a lazy student. So we go into the studio and Louis is about to have some vocal lessons. And in a weird move, he's decided that he's going to bring the Grease songbook with him. Is this a pop at Nicole? Is he having a go at the flattened Sandy? Or is he trying to win her favour? I think it's a bit, you can no longer perform this, so I'm going to do it instead. I will be the Sandy you can't. I'd like to hear him do Hopelessly Devoted to You in falsetto. I'd love to see Louis do Beauty School Dropout. As it was, the vocal coach, who's also a pretty matter-of-fact guy, says he thinks it'd be better if Louis stuck to something that he already knows, even if it's not quite right for the audition. What does he know? What's the one song that Louis knows? The fact that he resisted getting his guitar out for this is mad. Of course he goes for Faith by George Michael. Cause I gotta have faith. I gotta have faith. Okay. Cause I gotta have faith. faith. Yeah. All right. Let's put that aside for one second. Okay. That's a possibility. Nah, this isn't working. Let's try something else. And Louis suggests, get by with a little help from my friends by the Beatles. A song so easy to sing that they let Ringo have it. And it turns out that Louis doesn't know the words at all. I've written here, this scene makes me want to curl up and die. Now what is the opening line? What would you do, okay? What you do when you turn out the light? That's a, that's a later verse. Oh yeah, sorry. The vocal coach is growing exasperated with Louis. He describes him as not a powerhouse singer. At this stage in his career, which made me laugh. <laughs> But they persist with it and the vocal coach is kind of feeding him the lines as they go through. And he starts performing it, to be fair. There is definitely some level of performance in how he delivers it. The vocal coach asks Louis to focus on making him comfortable, meaning the vocal coach is cringing as much as we all were watching this. But yeah, he does seem to pull it back and he gets somewhere and Nicole's there sort of supporting him, joining in. Nodding along like his mum in the front row. It is still very much like a school play, but he's getting somewhere. And it's lucky because the audition looms ever near for his cruise liner. But first, we see how a much more serious audition takes place. We're back with Big Jimmy Lorenzo, who's got an audition with a management company called Multi-Ethnic Talent, which is still going. They're on Twitter. They describe themselves as a boutique management company for diverse talent owned by Annette E. Alvarez and Joan C. Silverman. And we meet Annette and Joan. So they are the head honchos. This is their thing. This is obviously a big deal for James. He's very nervous about it. He's very affectionate to Louis when he sees him. He says, oh, hey, you. And they have a sort of little cuddle. It's quite sweet. Very tactile. And then we meet Joe and Annette. They're running the phones and then they take a moment to speak to Louis. James goes and lies down on the floor of the waiting room. Weird move. There are other people waiting to be auditioned as well. It's quite a strange power move to do that. So first we see Soledad and Soledad is a young woman, I think Latina, and she gets into the room and all we see, and I don't know if this is how it is edited, but Joe and Annette just seem to be on their phones chatting while Louis talks to Soledad and she's talking about her experiences and stuff while these two kind of talk loudly on the phone next to him. And it's just so disheartening. Yeah, Louis says, this is very weird because I'm not meant to be auditioning you. It's really bad. 
They make James wait for a long time. He's saying that he's trying to relax, but you can see that he's getting a bit keyed up and he keeps looking at his watch. Louis asks, what can I do to make you feel more relaxed? Should I go away? Should I stay here? And James says, you know, just do what you want. I'm just going to be quiet for a bit. They've obviously been there for a really long time by the time he gets taken in. He delivers the line. Thank you, you hardworking thing. He's well charming. He knows exactly what he's doing. They sit down, Louis in the middle of Annette and Joan, and James does his monologue and... It's pretty fucking great. The monologue is, I gathered he's a fireman and someone has had a heart attack and then he is being told to be on the person's mouth. I'm guessing giving them CPR. But then the person is dead, but the fire chief says, keep going, keep going for the family. So he's recounting this experience first person as a monologue and doing the sort of sitting down on a chair and then getting up. And it's a little bit hammy, but if it's for theatre, it kind of has to be a bit hammy like that. Hey, I enjoyed it. No disrespect to James at all. He delivers it well. But uh, yeah, it is a bit hammy. But it seems to go down pretty well with the management company. Yeah, Joe and Annette give him a round of applause. Yeah, and he's like, oh, stop that. Which is great. Fake humility. Louis and James have a nice cuddle after again. And Louis really impressed. I mean, he's laying it on thick. And James, he is quite self-deprecating. I mean, you can tell that he's happy with how he did. And he said he was nervous before. But he said this could really help me a lot in my career. From what I could see, this was not the big break for James. He continues to have roles and is still a working actor to this day. He was in Law and Order in 1990, so a few years before he meets Louis. But then he's in The Punisher, the Marvel series The Punisher in 2017. So he never made it big, but he continues to still be a jobbing actor and a working actor, which is good news. Those are pretty decent roles. I feel like Law and Order is in the US what Holby City and Casualty are, or The Bill in the UK. Like every British actor has been in The Bill and in Casualty. There used to be a point where just after The Wire, you could spot the supporting actor in The Wire in any other series like Law and Order or CSI. They just popped up everywhere, which was just really funny. It's like a feeder school for other TV shows. So after that pretty uplifting experience, I suppose, it comes round to Louis' cruise line audition day. He says he hopes the competition won't be too fierce since it's only a cruise line. And you just know he's setting himself up for massive failure here. We get a kind of weird cut between talking to the casting people at the audition place, the New Dance Group Art Centre where they're holding this, while Louis is going to meet Nicole to get some last advice for his audition. One of the interviewers says they're looking for a triple threat. They need someone who can sing and dance and act. Unfortunately, Louis's only got French bicycling and Westminster Productions. They say that the actors they're looking for need to be like chameleons. Again, maybe not quite our Lou. Well, maybe you should have brought those headshots then. So Louis meets up with Nicole and she sort of immediately again just launches in like, what are you wearing? (laughs) I said, be clean cut. Where's your contacts? You look very East Village. So they go to the Gap and Louis is wearing, he turns up wearing a blue shirt and then holds up a blue shirt and says, I think this is nice. And she goes, yeah. So he clearly just buys another blue shirt. I think he also buys cream chinos as well. I think they're new. He basically ends up looking like he works at the Apple store in the 90s. And also, whether they did it consciously or not, they've chosen a shirt that is exactly the same shade as the top Nicole is wearing. So they look like a double act now. Team energy. It's very Facebook blue, actually. It's nice. They get to the audition location and it's really busy which kind of spooks Louis a little bit I think and Nicole then says some of the people here are damn good which probably doesn't fill him with much confidence no but she tells Louis to be cute maybe that's what he's got that the others don't have there are some quick cuts here of people singing and auditioning and there's some big old voices in there there's no hammy Ringo stars going on here there's like proper opera singing at one point it's a really impressive bunch they show the reaction of the panel as well and you can see them going oh my god this person's great they're properly reacting positively they're not trying to keep poker faces or anything even though there's all these amazing voices one person out of the nearly 30 in that room is asked to stay for the next section which is dancing and everyone else kind of sulkily leaves This is not the doddle that Louis thought it was going to be. Louis has come up with a stage name for his audition. So when his name is called, or when a name is called, he answers to Louis Castle. He always goes night-themed. It is easier to pronounce than Theroux. Maybe that woman was right. Maybe he does like mysterious things like castles. So I have written here, 
everyone is really fucking good. I feel sick for Louis. I genuinely was like clutching my stomach watching this. Oh, my heart could have exploded with how much I felt for him. As everybody else auditions one by one in front of him and you just know (laughs) what's coming. The judges are there and we get to see the panel. There's a lady called Jean Anne, a guy called Ken Caswell, who is the director, and Craig Horwood, who is now Craig Revel Horwood of Strictly Come Dancing. I was informed of this today by somebody else. I had no idea who he was. He's like probably the most famous person now in this documentary. He is huge. Is he even more famous than that comedian? Yeah, definitely more famous than that comedian. No offence to Peppertone. I apologise for being so nasty there. But Craig Revel Horde is a big deal. Maybe thankfully Louis doesn't get to show off his dancing skills in the end. No, so we see all these incredible voices one by one and then Louis Castle is called up. He gives this music to the piano player and it's not quite in the right key. He can't get the key and the pianist has to help him, which even doing music exams at school, you would have failed or been considerably marked down for not being able to start in the right key. So it's not looking good. Oh God, it's painful. And the judges are not hiding their absolute bewilderment as to why this man is singing the Beatles. Like he's doing karaoke in an old man pub at like one o'clock in the morning. But in terms of the level that Louis's at, he performs it with enthusiasm. He's very passionate and he does sing it. He doesn't bottle away from singing it. He does proper go for it. He gets into it and once he's found the key, he does do an okay job. But sadly not quite good enough because he does not get called back to dance. However, very few people do. There's only two people out of that group that get asked to stay. John David Conan and Lisa Rickenbacker. And let me tell you, they both went on to do absolutely nothing. They never end up with any sort of credits. (laughs) (laughs) Did they make it to the Norwegian cruise liner, though? That's what I want to know. What if Louis was asked to stay back for the dance? He's not prepared for this bit. If there was a really sadistic member of the panel, they might have put him through just to see what he would have done. Let's check out how Castle does in this next round. Maybe as a commiseration to Louis, they cut to one of the panel who says, we saw about 400 people today at this open audition. We'll probably take about three. It's crazy how brutal this is. Such a waste of everybody's time. Not for the three who got there, I suppose, but your chances are so slim. Louis and Nicole debrief in the hall and Louis sort of coming to terms with how incredibly embarrassing that was and she is just pissing herself laughing like she can't help it she's crying with laughter and he's saying it was so bad that one of the casting people couldn't even look at him because they were so embarrassed for him but louis doesn't give up there he spots the piano man coming down the stairs and corners him and says how did i do honestly And the pianist says, your vocal work needs a lot of work, essentially. Louis says, I was fine yesterday. And the pianist says, yeah. Yeah, that man has so much secondhand embarrassment. He just wants to forget that that ever happened. And this starts Nicole off laughing once again. She's so mean. She should have played Rizzo in Greece, not Sandy. So Nicole Kim, obviously, having seen the dangers of the acting world and how much it can damage you, sought redemption after the documentary. There's an article from 2010. Nicole actually goes by the stage name Nicole Greenwood. The article in question says, meet a Scientologist. Nicole Greenwood, not your typical Hollywood starlet. Oh, Nicole. So this is 10 years after she's met Louis and she's still being referred to as a Hollywood starlet. But she has joined the Scientology voluntary movement, which is helping people in Haiti at the time. It says about she's had some success in Broadway, blah, blah, blah. It was then that she looked into Scientology. I felt like I'd come home, said Greenwood. It'd been hard to keep my perspective. My friends in quotation marks, used to tease me about my old-fashioned values. Now here was a group that agreed about the importance of honesty and treating people fairly. They view life very much as I do. God, you get a double whammy. We could interview her for this episode and the Scientology one. He should have called her up. He already knew her. Oh, Nicole, no. So that's Nicole's path. Never mind. I mean, she was in The Mentalist, so... (laughs) Draw your own conclusions, lawyers. Louis visits James one last time just to say goodbye and James says he acts because it's what he does best. He's kind of saying this is my blessing and my curse I suppose. He has no alternative because he doesn't feel that he's good enough at anything else but he's doing all right. 
James, as far as I know, does not become a Scientologist. Like I said, he continues to be a jobbing actor and continues to this day and does acting classes for other people as well. I don't know whether he's continued to be a personal trainer. There's some nice footage at the end of this episode of Louis doing an acting class that didn't quite make it into the full cut. The point of the exercise is just to repeat the same phrase back and forth to each other until you confuse each other into saying something else. Some of the lines are, you're wearing glasses. You're wearing glasses. You're wearing glasses. And you're licking your lips. You're licking your lips. You're licking your lips. And then Louis says to the teacher, don't you go crazy doing this all the time? And the man says, no, I don't go crazy doing this all the time. Did you not spot that the acting professor says to him, where did you get that shirt? <laughs> yeah. Which is a question we are all desperate to know. I sort of hope he still has it preserved in a box somewhere. In titanium or something. Something that's got it secured for future generations. You and I have a mutual friend who has a special shirt that he refers to as the shirt of love. That I have seen photographic proof that he's owned since his mid-twenties and he still wears. Somehow it still fits him, I'm not sure how. Oh god, then if that's the case then Louis needs to burn that shirt immediately. And scene. This is the end of the documentary. So the question is, Alex, was this good Louis or bad Louis? I think this was good Louis. It was more enjoyable than I thought it would be. The sort of emotional response that my body had to watching Louis do that dreadful audition was real. I thought it was good Louis. I kind of ummed and out because I thought the subject matter wasn't weird enough for a weird weekend when I went in. And then what really saved it, I think, is how fully Louis embraced it. You know he's going to fail. There is no doubt that this isn't going to go well. But when it does, it's still really impactful to see him not get positive reinforcement for how he's done. It really kind of put it into perspective how much of a, not dangerous pursuit this is, but one that is so often going to leave you disappointed. But there is this amazing chance you could be Robert De Niro or some other huge actor. That's what makes it hard. In theory, I would love to try one of those acting classes because I think it could be quite funny, but I also think it would be terrifying. I can see that you're ready for an acting class. And luckily, I'm hot. I am so hot, (laughs) so I should be fine. (laughs) I am actually quite hot because I have to keep the window shut when we're recording. Thanks for listening. Give us a follow on Instagram or Twitter at allthroughpod. Angels on your bodies.